Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello and welcome to World Insight Year End Special. The World 2023 Uncertainties and Hope. I'm Xu Qingduo, sitting for Tianwei. This year, the global situation remained uncertain and the world continues to face profound geopolitical challenges, regional conflicts, challenging growth, extreme weathers and high-tech shift. Many pervasive issues are urging the need of solutions. During the past year, we talked to many people in the know who shared their observations on these problems. Now, as we bid farewell to 2023 and welcome 2024, over the next 30 minutes, we will summarize the events that dominated the past 12 months, complete with their uncertainties and hope, as well as the great ideas offered by those insiders. First, let's review some regional conflicts and their knock-on effects around the world. And conversely, we will review the efforts made by the international community on global governance and conflict resolution. Escalation of conflicts in multiple regions. As the prolonged Russia-Ukraine conflict continues, the knock-on effects related to food and energy security reverberate globally. In October, the Palestine-Israel conflict broke out after a brazen attack by Hamas. At least 20,000 civilians have been killed in Israeli reprisals, and 85% of Gaza residents have been displaced as Israel widens its offensive. Today, UNRWA schools are no longer safe, nor considered a source of security. A solution must be reached. Our message to the Security Council, the United Nations, and to the whole world, implement a ceasefire instead of bringing in aid. As difficult as it might appear today, the two-state solution in line with UN resolutions, international law and previous agreements is the only path to sustainable peace. Of course, under this geopolitical impasse, there have also been reasons for optimism around the world. Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden had a meeting in San Francisco where they exchanged views on the bilateral relationship and major international issues. These important deliverables are further proof of the broad common interest of China and the United States and the mutually beneficial nature of China-U.S. relations. They demonstrate that dialogue and cooperation is the only right choice for the two countries. Meanwhile, this year's APEC meeting had the theme Creating a Resilient and Sustainable Future for All, which called for multilateral solutions to global challenges. And the 2023 BRICS Summit concluded with the invitation of six new members. This helps amplify the voices of the Global South and the wider developing world. These are just a few of the big events this year, demonstrating that even if the process is tortuous and difficult, the world is working together for a bright future. For us as humanitarian actor, I cannot rank pain and misery, okay? I, I'm sorry, but uh, a mother uh, is a mother and I, and I don't care uh, on which side of the border uh, she is. If she loses her son, if, if she is anxious about finding food for me, it doesn't matter. That's, that's a starting point as a humanitarian actor, as a neutral humanitarian actor who works on front line, who works in the middle of conflict, we cannot rank pain. 
This being said, when it comes to our action, obviously we will assist according to needs. I came here to find partners and in fact I found allies. It is even more than what I, what I hoped for. The world is in deep crisis. The United Nations is mirroring the status of affairs in the world and the United Nations is looking for solutions. So our solutions are as complex as the crisis out in the world. Our solutions are as complex and as, uh, as integrated. So what we are, we are trying to do, we are trying to change the world. We are trying to go for transformation. And what I found here with the government of China, with scientists very well prepared, not only professionally, but very pre pre well prepared mentally and emotionally. They are looking into the future. So the impact um, way of the shocks that we saw in the supply chains, I believe were probably felt more on this continent than anywhere else. If you recall during the pandemic, um, the African continent could hardly get access to uh, personal protective um, equipment, which was much needed for the frontline staff. We, as the South African chapter of the BRICS Business Council, mm -hmm. had to pick up a phone, call our counterparts in China, and say, could you assist? And mm -hmm. thankfully, um, they did uh, actually assist and ensure mm -hmm. that we got um, the PPE that we required. We had to call and ask our counterparts for much-needed medication. Yeah. Africa was um, last in the queue in terms of vaccine availability, with, of course, our friends um, such as China being amongst the first to make um, vaccines available. We have many, many challenges. We have to overcome that. Now look at the old Belt and Road. What were the challenges they had? They had even more challenges. So let's look at climate is a challenge, not only for the whole world. <clears throat> Belt and Road, BRI, all of us must get the world to focus on it and to find solutions. Debt restructuring is another issue which we have to go. So there will be, there will be wars, there will be geopolitics, but it is our ability as a strong organization to face them. This monkey came from the journey to the West. He was beating so many devils, overcoming so many difficulties. So it's very much like uh, uh, the journey to the West is, was never easy. So I think this is closer to what we are doing now. We have our goal, but the journey could never be very easy. Well, I believe in the, first of all, I believe in China. I believe in the relationship. I believe that the, uh, that a healthy U.S.-China relationship is absolutely vital to the world. And I believe in backing up what I think, what I believe. And so uh, I came here right through COVID uh, three or four times. And now I'm trying to come every single month. The IMF's World Economic Outlook projects a slow global economic recovery with growing regional divergences and a little margin for policy error. The baseline forecast is for global growth to slow from 3.5% in 2022 to 3% in 2023 and 2.9% in 2024, well below the previous decade's average of 3.8%.
but the slowdown is more pronounced in advanced economies than in emerging ones. Many emerging market economies proved quite resilient. After an IMF team visited China last month, the organization revised their projections of China's economy up by 0.4 percentage points in both 2023 and 2024, relative to earlier projections due to stronger-than-expected quarter-three results and recent policy announcements. The IMF stated that the Chinese economy is on track to meet the government's 2023 growth target, reflecting a strong post-COVID recovery. But globally, economic fragmentation and the sustainable development transition threaten to drag down economic growth moving forward. Financial safety or soundness of any country would probably have spillover effects particularly the major uh, economies in this world, what we want to do is to make sure that uh, to do the best we can in raising lower cost funding from the market mm -hmm. and then transfer all these resources to low-income countries. Uh, I think uh, uh, the problems are being addressed mm -hmm. and we watch very closely. And this also tells us how important it is for these MDBs to provide necessary financing for our clients, particularly in difficult times. Trust is something which you develop over a long period of time, and it is like branding in a way. It's something where the counterpart can actually recognize you. It's all about authenticity, it's all about credibility, and very important, predictability. You might actually say something the other side doesn't want to hear or doesn't want to agree with, but at the same time they know it comes from all the goodwill that you have. I think it's very important to recognize you might have different opinions, mm -hmm. but you do it out of the, uh, uh, from your own heart to actually explain the difference. It's all about expectation management. You, you tell the other side, I have a problem A, B, C, D. So trust comes from this constant ability of being predictable and authentic. Mm. and it can evaporate in an instant. Yeah. So what you also need is, particularly in this kind of uh, leading positions in trade and politics, you need a lot of discipline. You have to have a very strong filter that you're not going off rail, you know. I think it's very important that China is the second largest economy of the world, 20% of global GDP also take a responsibility for development in other countries. That that's what, at the core of BRI, that uh, one can also learn uh, from the way China has eradicated poverty. Never in the history of humankind have a country lifted so many people out of poverty in such a short time as China has done. Of course, it's not possible to replicate totally uh, this um, history, but I think uh, China is showing also increased interest of being a partner with many other countries that are less fortunate. We've raised uh, our projection for growth for China for this year to 5.4% and for next year also we've increased it to 4.6%. There are two main reasons for it. One for this year, for 2023, is that the third quarter GDP growth came in stronger than we expected. 
particularly consumption, came in stronger than we expected. So that's the reason for the revision. The second is the recent fiscal stimulus that was provided of about 0.8% of GDP. There's one uh, trillion renminbi special bond for climate resilience and for flood relief and recovery, reconstruction. We think those, that stimulus will also help raise growth. So these are the two reasons why we raised our growth projection. Welcome back. This is World 2023 Uncertainties and Hope, a World Inside Year-End Special. Climate change has brought more extreme weathers around the world in 2023 than previous years. Though many have been calling for joint efforts on dealing with climate change challenges, it seems we are still not acting fast enough. Mr. Guterres' appeal echoes the statement of many who share his anxiety toward the challenges of climate changes. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable. The heat is unbearable. And the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. No more hesitancy. No more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Voices calling for actions from around the world are trying to make people be more aware that we human beings have pushed ourselves to the brink of survival. Our planet uh, is on fire and if there is a fire you have to uh, also move fast. Despite ideological differences, despite geopolitical divide, we all together want to survive. We all together want to make sure that your children, my children, will have a chance. I see a young generation that is concerned. It's concerned um, about the direction in which the world is moving because this is the world they will inherit. For sure we need to do more to reduce emissions because we are not reducing emissions as fast as we need to protect next generations. This is a big issue for the young people. World leaders did lead. The highlight of international cooperation on fighting against the climate crisis was the COP28 in Dubai. The event closed with an agreement that signals the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era. COP28 gained momentum from an agreement between the world's two largest economies, China and the U.S. to work together on global renewable targets. Many believe it is game-changer. China's commitments on tackling climate change and curbing emissions have encouraged more partners in various frameworks to join. And acting faster than governments are business leaders. World-leading companies started their plan of turning green years ago to win hearts and minds of their consumers. We are striving forward to make aviation sustainable. The Cebu aircraft, which takes off tomorrow, for example, will have 40.9% SAF on board, yeah? sustainable aviation fuel. And uh, on that one we are looking. Yeah? That is our ambition, really, to have sustainable aviation and to develop our products further so that we can cut down our 
the CO2 emissions of our products. But sustainable aviation fuels use a recycled carbon, like some oils or greases that have already been pulled out of the ground and used. Cooking oils, uh, waste gases from landfills, these kind of things. There's a lot of innovation going on in this fuel, fuel area. Well, we've done research on SAF with China probably for the last 13 or 14 years. Air China actually flew an airplane, a 747 on sustainable aviation fuel, I think in 2010. Mm -hmm. And we've been working to establish research centers. We've worked on uh, Peking University's report on sustainable aviation fuel. And, and we'll probably work next on uh, Southeast Asia roadmaps for what components of sustainable aviation fuel are available in some of the APEC economy countries and how can we grow a bigger industry in the APEC region. The transportation contribute more than 30% of pollution for the total like, uh, emission. And then if in the like, city, like we are here in San Francisco, transportation contribute more than 60% of the pollution. So electrify all the fleet, all the vehicle here, it's the everybody needs. Climate change is, is not the matter about which country, what's your race, what's your political position. Yeah. It's, it's all the human beings need to work together. The key thing is, can you find an effective way to produce green steel? There will always be needed a lot of energy to produce steel. And therefore, what is a given is that we need more renewable energy whether that's uh, hydropower or it's solar or it's wind or it's nuclear. We also have a kind of a dual uh, target. We, uh, we are trying to reduce our uh, CO2 emission by 50% by 2030 and be neutral in 2050. Artificial intelligence is definitely one of the key words of the year. We have talked to many experts in the field. We listened to their insight of hopes and uncertainties that AI would bring to human society. 2023 marks the year when artificial intelligence went from catchphrase to reality. It's the first time that everyday people began to apply AI in their work and daily life. ChatGPT got billions of visits this year. Not only can it answer basic questions, but can also write essays, reports, and even music. But some worry that it is developing too fast. In March, Elon Musk and a group of experts called for a six-month pause in developing systems more powerful than GPT-4, citing potential risks to society. Later in November, there was a drama on OpenAI. Sam Altman, the founder and CEO of the company, was fired and then hired again in just a week. It begs the question, just who on earth is responsible for regulating AI technology? In July, China published its interim measures for the administration of generative artificial intelligence services. The EU also passed the AI Act in December, aiming to become the world's super regulator in the industry. The question is whether the power of generative AI can remain in the hands of those who respect and understand its revolutionary applications. But I think what's happening with AI is it just vastly accelerates the urgency of this question of how to strike that balance. Because I think it's clear that we don't want to constrain society so much that innovation stops. That's probably bad for us. But we also don't want to open it up so much that horrible consequences follow from it. 
um, because we took risks that were too much. Um, and AI just makes those scenarios that much more dramatic and immediate because the AI itself now can take risks on our behalf and it can also do incredible innovations on our behalf. Um, and so to straddle that trade-off and say, well, what, to what extent do we allow things and to what extent do we constrain things is, is I think the, the ultimate puzzle that, that needs to be addressed immediately. Um, and yet at the same time, it's not completely new is what's interesting about it. You know, we, we face similar problems with humans. You know, every human being has a potential to innovate or to cause a lot of trouble. I mean, people can cause a lot of damage. Um, and so we grapple with this just generally in our social fabric is like how to deal with this kind of trade-off as a society. Uh, I think we just need to be extremely uh, cautious in terms of uh, you know, how we develop technology, how we apply this. We develop a lot of foundational technology, but also uh, we always put uh, AI safety and the responsibility above all the uh, technical and, and uh, uh, industrial efforts. It's best to think of it as a tool. It's just a very unusually powerful tool. Uh, the search engine was a tool. Uh, translation systems are a tool. And they just allow us to augment ourselves and do more than we could do. And that augmentation uh, probably is going to be exciting. I, I watch children, and they're not particularly fearful of it. They, they embrace it. They want to do things with it. And, and they can build on top of that. That's what humans do. Humans are going to be smarter than this system. And they're going to know how to use it in interesting ways. Um, so uh, it's a language uh, model, um, and so that's why I think it's most exciting. It really gets at the core of what it means to be human, is to express ourselves in language. But it's a different form of language model. It's, it's a very uh, brute force, predictive model based on huge amounts of data. It didn't learn language the way we learned it, um, and it experiences if it, you know, uh, the, the, the semantics, the meaning in, in, a, different, uh, in a different formal language. It, it's not ours. Uh, so the, the hopefully, my, my hope is that it's more like a partnership. It's a good, interesting new tool. Um, but you're right, it comes very fast. And so that's probably uh, half of the concern is that it's maybe too fast. What I worry more is a second digital divide that is opening up. And that is the divide among those humans who are really very good at, you know, accessing the digital world and living with this and navigating it. And those who become the slaves of algorithms. I give you an example. In the last PISA test, we looked at the capability of students to distinguish fact from opinion. And uh, Chinese students did quite well on this test. But in most OECD countries, it was a minority of students who were good at, you know, distinguishing fact from opinion. That is the second divide. You know, if you cannot understand the idea, the nature of an algorithm, you're going to be the slave of that algorithm. And that divide is much, much harder to close, and particularly between more advanced and less advanced education systems. So yeah, technology, I think, will be accessible to everyone one day. But the human skills to use it wisely, that is, I think, the biggest challenge that we are just beginning to understand. 2023 is a year defined by uncertainties and hope. Looking ahead, next year will be full of expectations. The year 2024 marks the 45th anniversary of formal China-U.S. ties and also 60th anniversary of China-France diplomatic relations. Important political events will also shape 2024, such as the U.S. presidential election. China is still the engine of global growth,
and will remain integral to the global prospects of 2024. Whatever the future holds, you can contact us and our team with the latest updates and the most in-depth analysis. I'm Xu Qinduo from all of us in Beijing. We wish you a very happy new year. Bye for now. wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African. How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.